Welcome to Yale Cancer Center Answers with your hosts, Drs. Francine Foss, Anise Chagpar, and Stephen Gore. Dr. Foss is a professor of medicine in the section of medical oncology at the Yale Cancer Center. Dr. Chagpar is associate professor of surgical oncology and director of the Breast Center at Smilo Cancer Hospital. And Dr. Gore is director of hematological malignancies at Smilo. Yale Cancer Center Answers features weekly conversations about the research, diagnosis, and treatment of cancer. And if you'd like to join the conversation, you can submit questions and comments to canceranswers at yale.edu, or you can leave a voicemail message at 888-234-4YCC. March is Colorectal Cancer Awareness Month, and this week we conclude our series of conversations about colorectal cancer with Dr. Howard Hoxter. Dr. Hoxter is Professor of Medicine and Medical Oncology, Associate Director for Clinical Sciences, and Clinical Program Leader of the Gastrointestinal Cancers Program at Yale School of Medicine. Here's Dr. Stephen Gore. So colorectal cancer awareness, um, to me, means make sure you get your colonoscopy, right? Well, that's probably the most important thing. Um, Unlike many other cancers where screening can help diagnose, colonoscopy is both diagnostic and therapeutic. And what I mean by that is when they do a colonoscopy on a person, when you have a colonoscopy, if you have a polyp, and especially the polyps that we call adenomas, which are pre-malignant, they can be removed very easily by the Uh, endoscopist by the gastroenterologist, and that actually prevents colon cancer. So there are many long-term studies now showing that colonoscopy with removal of adenomatous polyps improves survival from colon cancer. People don't get colon cancer. They never have to worry about surgery later. They never have to worry about chemotherapy, radiation, all the things we do when people have more advanced disease. So it's diagnostic and it is preventative, much more so than, you know, mammography, which just tells you to go have another biopsy or something. This actually we know will prevent colon cancer from happening. So colorectal cancer is largely preventable if everybody went for screening colonoscopy. All right, so that sounds so great. Why isn't everybody just running out and and getting theirs done? It's not pleasant to contemplate colonoscopy. It's not pleasant to prepare for your colonoscopy. And people you know, don't like the idea, even though the procedure itself is, like, not too bad. Mostly today people get it with some anesthesia or um, sedation, and, you know, you just lay down, go to sleep, wake up half an hour, 45 minutes later. What about those virtual colonoscopies that we heard about a couple years ago where people were getting some fancy CT scans? Right. So CAT scanners are getting to be much more accurate in terms of measuring small things. And so they can measure... They can actually see polyps by doing special views of the colon, and there's actual software um, that makes it look like you're undergoing a colonoscopy, so it's kind of a drive-through thing. Um, But the problem with virtual colonoscopy, or what they call CT colonography, that's the official name, is that uh, a lot of times you have material debris sticking to the wall of the colon, Uh, if you aren't cleaned out perfectly, and that looks like a polyp. So it's not as accurate. And then also, if you do see polyps, you still have to get a colonoscopy to get them removed. So it was not approved in the end by the um, preventative um, 
task force, preventative services task force, so it's not really um, uh, completely covered by all insurance or Medicare. Hmm. Gotcha. It, it, it may get there yet, but uh-huh. it's still, it would, you know, for a lot of people, they'd still have to go for a colonoscopy afterwards. And is the preparation for the virtual colonoscopy uh, the same as for a regular colonoscopy? Yes, yes. So, you really need a, a really good clean out. So there really isn't any advantage from the uncomfortable perspective. Well, I don't, I'm not so sure that it's so uncomfortable today. I mean, it, you know, you, you're supposed to drink liquids for a day and um, not eat solid food, and then in the evening before, usually take a laxative. So, I mean, I don't think for most people it's terribly uncomfortable, but it's a little bit unpleasant. Yeah, but I'm saying it's not any less. It's not any less. It's Maybe not any, more. Right, because <laughs> right, the rest of it, you're you're out of it, so you wake up and it's done. Right, that and I mean, when they, when they use the scope and they do a real colonoscopy, they can wash the walls and they can get a better look. So Gotcha. Gotcha. And uh, so who's who's recommended to get colonoscopy? I mean, uh, we think about 50-year-olds. Right. So the official recommendations of the American Gastroenterological Association, AGA, and uh, the American Cancer Society is that for people at normal risk, they should go for a screening colonoscopy beginning at the age of 50. And that the reason for 50 is that that's when we begin to see a higher incidence of colorectal cancer in the general population. For African Americans, there's a little bit earlier onset. So for African Americans of normal risk, standard risk, it's recommended they start their first screen colonoscopy at age 45. Hmm. Once you have a colonoscopy, especially if you don't have polyps, then you don't have to have it done for at least another five years. Gotcha. And so who's considered it to be at high risk? So the people who are at higher risk, so normal risk are just everybody in the population who doesn't have a family history, basically, of some um, colon problem or colon cancer in a first-degree relative, in a parent or a brother or sister. Uh, So for those people, um, they are recommended to begin screening colonoscopy at uh, 10 years prior to the age of the diagnosis of the first-degree relative. So if your parent had colon cancer at the age of 50, you should get your first screening colonoscopy at the age of 40. Hmm. And uh, and then there are some family syndromes uh, where you may start even earlier. Familial adenomatous polyposis requires uh, earlier onset screening. Uh, that's a very rare condition. Um, Lynch syndrome, or we call it today HNPCC, hereditary non-polyposis colon cancer, a really bad name, sorry. but All those it, names. It's called Lynch syndrome, HNPCC. Uh, that probably requires starting screening earlier because you have a process that uh, predisposes the people who have this to developing um, polyps and early onset colon cancer. How would I know if I had one of those? Usually it's by your family history. So it's more than one first-degree relative? or In HNPCC, usually it is, or it's in every generation somebody gets colon cancer because it's you know, 50-50 chance. It's a dominant inheritance. Mm-hmm. And um, I can imagine that it still requires some smart physician to put two and two together and see a pattern in the family to 
start doing a, a, a genetic workup, right? Yes, I think that there is um, uh, in, in Lynch syndrome or HNPCC, there's a defect in something we call mismatch repair enzymes. They're like a spell checker for DNA because DNA is constantly replicating and sometimes it gets a bad base in there. It's like a spelling error. So these spell checker enzymes go around and fix these spelling errors. If you And that seems to be particularly important for the lining of the colon, possibly because your colon's exposed to so many different uh, chemicals and noxious substances. So um, when you have an inherited deficit in one of these spell checker enzymes, then you tend to get polyps and colon cancer at an earlier age. So basically, you have to have it in at least two generations with one person having it at least under age 50. And um, in addition to colon cancer, there are certain other kinds of urologic cancers, endometrial cancer, that are seen commonly in people who have Lynch syndrome. So uh, that if that sounds like something in your family where people in every generation seems to have one of these kinds of cancer, it may be worthwhile asking your doctor about it or seeing a clinical genetics person. It's very easy to test for today. Hmm. Right, but it still requires either you've got concern uh, about the history or your astute primary care doc is taking a really thorough family history, which I have to admit that not all of us do all the time in the, in the hurried environment that we're right. finding ourselves in. But the, with right. with a good family history, you, you might look at it and say, whoa, there's a lot of cancer in your family or a lot of colon cancer in your family. So the next step is to send them to a, a cancer right. geneticist? Yeah, it's, it's a lot of colon cancer and also early onset, usually earlier than age 50. Got it. So um, – well, yes, uh, you know, there are genetics programs here at the um, Cancer Center. We have uh, genetic counseling, so you can, they'll, you know, tell you about the syndrome and do the appropriate um, test to do it. Usually it's uh, either a blood test or a, uh, scraping some cells off your cheek of your mouth, a buccal smear. And uh, they can uh, de- define whether that's something that, A, runs in the family if you test somebody who actually has the illness, or if you haven't had it, if you're at risk, you know, the if you inherited that enzyme deficiency. And then if, so let's say uh, your family is known to have this syndrome or suspected to have the syndrome and, and you get tested at a young age and you don't, then can you go back to normal risk yes. screening? Yes. If you, if you don't, if you didn't inherit the um, gene mutation, so your mismatch repair spell checker enzyme genes are normal, then you're at the normal risk the same as everybody else in the world. Dodge the bullet. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. So, uh, and that's just a blood test or, or a, yes. a swab. Yes. So, yeah, so that's, that seems pretty innocuous. Um, excellent. And so in these people who have these family syndromes um, and are receiving early screening, uh, is the maintenance or the, the therapy then just to take out the polyps as they come along, or are these people at risk of having to have a colectomy or a colon resection removal? Um, it depends on how big they are and how many people have. Uh, if, it, you know, if a lot are coming up over years, then sometimes we do surgery. Hmm. Yeah. What about people who have uh, uh, things like uh, ulcerative colitis or inflammatory bowel diseases? Mm-hmm. Um, 
they can sometimes be at risk of, right. of cancer as well, so right? People who have active um, inflammatory bowel disease, mainly ulcerative colitis, for more than 10 years on treatment, um, they are at higher risk for developing colon cancer and may need surgery as a preventive measure. Um, but usually those people are under very close surveillance by gastroenterologists, so they don't really fall into this general screening Got it. They're managed separately. I remember when I was a medical student, those patients used to have prophylactic uh, colon resections. That's done sometimes today, too. You know, often not the whole colon and rectum, but they leave a little bit of some of the rectum in to be more functional, and then that can be watched very closely with a little um, procedure that's less than a colonoscopy. Gotcha. Gotcha. So... With all this new development of, uh, you know, targeted drugs and likely targeted drugs, are, is there any movement in these people with these genetic defects and these spell checkers uh, for therapeutic interventions specifically? Well, there, there are a few. There are a few. Um, for the people who have this Lynch syndrome, mismatch repair enzyme, they actually have an unusual biology where they're more likely to get colon cancer, but they're less likely to have bad colon cancer, so they actually need less treatment. Hmm. We can talk about that a little bit more after the break. <laughs> there we go. It's great to have somebody who's a uh, radio host as a radio guest. So uh, Dr. Hoxter reminds me that we are going to need to take a short break for a medical minute. Please stay tuned to learn more about more information about colorectal cancer with Dr. Howard Hoxter. It is estimated that over 200,000 men in the United States will be diagnosed with prostate cancer this year, with almost 3,000 of these diagnoses here in Connecticut. One in six American men will develop prostate cancer in the course of his lifetime. Major advances in the detection and treatment of prostate cancer have dramatically decreased the number of men who die from this disease. Screening for prostate cancer can be performed quickly and easily in a physician's office using two simple tests, a physical exam and a blood test. Clinical trials are currently underway at federally designated comprehensive cancer centers, such as Yale Cancer Center, and at Smilo Cancer Hospital at Yale New Haven, to test innovative new treatments for prostate cancer. The Artemis machine is a new technology being used at Smilo that enables targeted biopsies to be performed, as opposed to removing multiple cores from the prostate for examination, which may not be necessary. This has been a Medical Minute brought to you as a public service by Yale Cancer Center and Smilo Cancer Hospital at Yale New Haven. More information is available at YaleCancerCenter.org. You're listening to WNPR, Connecticut's public media source for news and ideas. Welcome back to Yale Cancer Center Answers. This is Dr. Stephen Gore, and I am joined tonight by my guest, Dr. Howard Hoxter. We are discussing colorectal cancer to end our series for Colorectal Cancer Awareness Month, which apparently is March. March every year, huh? Every year. So every year I can wear my purple, what's the symbol? It's not a... Oh, purple ribbon on your lapel. Purple ribbon. It's not purple a... shoes. It's not representative of anything that we produce in our colon, for example. Mm, I don't think so. That would be At least I don't. That would be inappropriate. Right. Yeah, I've got to watch myself on the radio. Uh, Howard, uh, I know that you've got a, a very exciting uh, colorectal cancer research program here at the Yale Cancer Center, and I'm wondering if there's anything you'd, you'd like to tell us about the clinical trials that you're involved with. Yeah, there, there are a few things. So we were just talking before the Medical Minute about um, the 
inherited colon cancer with this Lynch syndrome. And you said that people need less treatment, sometimes not more. Right. So the really amazing thing about uh, when you have these mismatch repair enzyme deficiencies, so there's a mutation in the spell checker, is that you're more predisposed to get cancer. But if you do get cancer, it's skewed more towards early stage and also, it doesn't tend to metastasize as much. It tends to stay treatable with surgery. So we tend to treat those people less than your average colon cancer patient at stage 2 or stage 3. Um, I would say uh, Lynch syndrome is around 10% of colon cancer. And some of that... Um, then, and then in addition, there's another few percent of people who have sporadic deficiencies in these um, spell, spell checker enzymes. So they just, you know, they get it, and they're the first one. It's not in their family. So that's a, a minority, but it can happen also. So these people have a condition that we call microsatellite instability, which means your DNA tends to fall into little pieces much more easily. And um, that seems to be the reason that the cancers don't tend to be as bad as people who have your garden variety colon cancer. Uh, so if they have stage two, usually we don't have to give chemotherapy. And in stage three, um, you know, it's, it's uh, still a, a question. The, if it does turn out that people have this kind of microsatellite instability and then they get uh, they do get metastatic colon cancer, so advanced colorectal cancer. We actually have a trial for them now using the new immunotherapy drugs, which you may have, you know, people have, may have heard about and that we've talked about uh, many times, which um, seem to work for some diseases like melanoma and lung cancer quite a, a bit, but not too well for your normal colon cancer. People who have this microsatellite instability uh, type of colon cancer, though, uh, because they have a lot of DNA, DNA defects and mutations tend to attract the immune cells more to their kind of colon cancer. And this is known for a long time by the pathologists. They would mm. say these tumors tend to be more on the right side, which is the first part of the colon, not the left side. And they tend to see a lot of lymphocytic infiltrates, which meaning the immune cells are getting into the tumor. And they seem to be responding to these drugs like... Um, nivolumab and pembrolizumab that are the anti-PDL1 drugs that are the kind of new immunotherapies that are taking the brakes off the immune system. It's not bad enough that you've got these syndromes that have like 5,000 syllables, but now you're treating them with medications that have about 5,000 yeah, syllables. Well, that's, you know, the lingo is not good. But yeah. the, the, the key thing is that these immune therapies have an antibody that kind of takes the brakes off the immune system. Like we used to think for the last 20 years, immune system doesn't work because if your immune system worked properly, you probably wouldn't get cancer. So let's see if we can stimulate the immune system. So we gave all kinds of immunostimulator drugs um, like interferon and other things that, that sometimes worked a little bit. But this is a whole new ball game. We found that the tumors have a protein that kind of masks them that puts on the brakes of the immune system. So an antibody that 
gets rid of that protein makes the immune system work better and, and really helps us treat these cancers better. So we're seeing that in um, people with colon cancer from Lynch syndrome. We have a trial open now um, using uh, an anti um, angiogenesis drug, bevacizumab or Avastin. Angiogenesis. Right. That's the um, process by which the cancer, cancer cells uh, track blood vessels. So we block the blood vessels and we block the immune system with a um, drug called MPDL3280 at the same time, and it seems to work pretty well. Together. Bevacizumab yeah. with this other immune yeah. drug. Anti-PD-1 drug. Yeah. And this is just for Lynch syndrome. That's advanced. Lynch that syndrome or other microsatellite uh-huh. Yeah, exactly. Gotcha. So you're turning on the immune system, and you are starving the tumor at the same time. Yes, and the, the, um, the drug that reduces the blood vessels and maybe starves the tumor may be creating more... Um, what we call antigens, those are proteins that tell the immune system, I'm bad, come attack me. Mm. So we're kind of increasing the targets for the immune system and taking the breaks off the immune system at the same time. Are you worried that by decreasing the vasculature and the blood vessels to the tumor, you might not get the immune cells in? Uh, It's a concern, but so far, you know, we haven't done a comparative trial of the drug alone with or without the uh, bevacizumab, the Avastin, but... So far, it looks like uh, it seems to be helping more than harming. Nice, yeah. nice. So, but this this still is a, a small, smallish right. subset. Do you think that? By the way, I just wanted to ask you: Do you think that this uh, sort of immune attraction uh, or stimulation? I guess it's not really stimulation, but but attraction that they've noticed in these in these uh, patients uh, is one of the reasons why it's presenting um, at earlier stages and less likely to spread. Do you think it's that there is some active immune system, or you think it's um, that's true possible? And but I think the other part of it is that the cancer kind of has its intrinsic Achilles heel. So even though you get a cancer, it's like it's a little uh, wimpy. Yeah, it's a wimpy cancer. Yeah. Not to say that you shouldn't be screened for it and take care of it aggressively because wimpy cancers can still kill. Right. Right. That's very interesting. What about for the patients who who don't have this microsatellite instability issue? Right. So the other um, signaling proteins that we screen for today in colorectal cancer are basically um, the RAS family. So signaling proteins, you mean the the proteins that turn on the proliferation or growth of the tumor, is that right? Right. So we know that when cancers, um, normal cells too, but in cancers the system seems to be revved up uh, even more, is that there are signals that tell the cell to grow. And then there's a whole internal, within the cell, a whole series of proteins that kind of come in a series or a cascade that eventually result in the cell being dividing and growing. So there are a number of points along the way where you can block that. And then some of these proteins, if they have an activating mutation, it's like having a street light that's stuck in the green, a green light and it never turns red, so it's stuck in the on position or it's like your light switch doesn't, you can't turn it off. So the light's on all the time. It just tells the cell, grow, 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 grow. You can't turn off the faucet. Right. Which I hate. 
Yeah, drip, drip. It's terrible. Yeah. So, yeah, so like the faucet. So so we're interested in two of those proteins specifically in colon cancer that have uh, clinical implications today. I mean, we're looking at many of these signaling molecules as kind of new therapies, but there are um, a couple things we're looking at in clinical trials. First of all, there is... Um, something called a RAF, R-A-F mutation, BRAF mutation. Uh, and that is happens in about 4%, 5% of all colon cancer. But we have a drug for that that can block the BRAF signaling protein. And it didn't work that well by itself in colon cancer. It's approved for melanoma. But for colon cancer by itself, it wasn't that good. So we're combining it now with another antibody that blocks the signaling pathway in another place. And that would be an anti-epidermal growth factor um, uh, antibody. So basically, we're putting the antibody together with this BRAF inhibitor, and it seems to be working quite well. So we have some clinical trials for patients who have ha- who have a BRAF mutation and have gotten other chemotherapy, but it's not working, uh, we have an investigational trial combining uh, these drugs, which are not approved for colon cancer. Okay, and uh, anything for people that cause that sounds like that's a kind of minority, right? That's a small subset, subset too. Yeah. too. And the other thing is the people who have the RAF. The, I'm sorry, the RAS mutation, R-A-S. So RAS comes a couple of different ways. There's People have been talking about K-RAS for a long time. We have N-RAS also. But when you have these RAS mutations, uh, it, again, tends to tell the cell to grow. It's kind of like the faucet is turned on and leaky. But um, we don't have a good way to turn off RAS. RAS is one of these uh, molecules that nobody's come up with a good drug to block it because it's different um, than the other signaling proteins. It's got a different uh, uh, biology. So what we know about those is, though, that the RAS mutations can tell us which drugs that can work or can't work. So patients who have RAS mutations, we don't tend to use these anti-epidermal growth factor Antibodies, and that's about half the patients with colon cancer. So today we kind of look at colon cancer as RAS mutated or RAS normal or wild type, and then we kind of um, have different treatment paradigms depending on their RAS status. Whether they're RAS deferians or not. Not exactly. Not exactly. RAS wild type or RAS mutated. You're no fun. Okay, I don't also don't have dreads. So. <laughs> For those those of you who've never seen Dr. Hoxter, it would be interesting uh, for him to have dreads as there's – well. So that's very interesting. So we, uh, how do people get these mutations? How do they know if they have these mutations or right. not in their tumors? Right. So unlike the Lynch syndrome where we we're talking about where they can test your normal – DNA, that's called germline DNA. We're not interested in it for this. We're interested in looking at your tumor DNA. Your tumor DNA is different than your normal DNA because it's accumulated these mutations that made the cells go bad. So if once you get your tumor biopsied or removed, we take some of the cells, extract the DNA, and then we uh, sequence it. 
and we look for either specific mutations by looking at probes for those mutations, or we do this whole um, exome sequencing thing where we look at all the DNA pattern in your whole uh, DNA of the tumor and uh, all, you know, 19,000 genes. Wow. So it sounds like the take-home messages for Colon Cancer Awareness Month uh, are make sure you get screened uh, earlier or later, depending on your your status. And if you have cancer removed, make sure it's studied for some of these very informative mutations. And, and not only informative, but mutations that have therapeutic implications. We have trials that can address some of these issues. Dr. Howard Hoxter is professor of medicine and medical oncology, associate director for clinical sciences, and clinical program leader of the gastrointestinal cancers program at Yale School of Medicine. We invite you to share your questions and comments. You can send them to canceranswers at yale.edu, or you can leave a voicemail message at 888-234-4YCC. And as an additional resource, archived programs are available in both audio and written form at YaleCancerCenter.org. We'd like to thank the Yale Cancer Center for providing production support for this program, and we'd also like to thank Renee Gaudet, Emily Fenton, and the staff of the Yale Broadcast and Media Center. I'm Bruce Barber, hoping you'll join us again next Sunday evening at 6 for another edition of Yale Cancer Center Answers here on WNPR, Connecticut's public media source for news and ideas.